We're going to return to the book of Acts this morning where we started last week. But before we do, let's pray together because we really need God to speak to us. Would you bow with me? Father, please do speak to us through your word. We so quickly can rely on human insight and ideas and creativity. And what we really need is just to sit and listen and receive your word and be changed by it. So we, as best we can, we present ourselves to you. Our heart's desire, compromised as it may be by sin and selfishness, is to submit to you, to be your people. So please help us. Give us soft hearts, open ears, open eyes. Help us to listen and receive your word now. And help me to serve your people well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Last week, I explained why we are in Acts. I'm not going to rehash all that. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to maybe listen to the sermon. It's on our website, on our podcast, and we'll post a recap of it. I really just want to dive in. But I will remind you of one element of the introduction from last week. Our desire, as we approach the book of Acts, is to be like soft modeling clay in God's hands. We are hoping and praying and looking for him to shape us as we study his word together. And what we are asked to bring to that transaction is pliability, which means uh, moldability, that we are willing to be changed by him. So as we get into the text again, I just want to remind you of what we're doing. We are opening ourselves up to the possibility that God may want us as individuals and us as a church to change. We're going to let him press in on us and reshape us and mold us however he sees fit. Because he's God and we're his people. So that's what we're after. We're looking at what I'm calling shaping themes and acts. So our study through the book is not going to be verse by verse, but we're going to look at prominent themes that we see in the, in the book, this history of the early church. And we're going to allow God, through studying those and meditating on those, to shape us into the people he's calling us to be. The first theme that we looked at last week was the theme of resurrection. And we talked about the fact that we see in the book of Acts that Jesus' bodily resurrection was the backbone Of the church and still is the backbone of the church. It's central to the message of Christianity. And remembering that Jesus arose from the grave helps us to remember that we aren't just followers of a philosophy or practitioners of a practice, but we are believers in a risen we are believers in a risen person, Jesus Christ. Today's theme flows directly from that, and it's the theme of authority. So the shaping theme for this week is authority. By authority, I mean the power and right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. So think about your boss if you have a boss. That's authority. They have the power and the right to be in charge and to tell you what to do and to make the decisions and to lead the way. 
The big idea for the sermon, I'll go ahead and give it to you, I'll cut out all the suspense, the big idea of the sermon, Christians are under God's authority. Now, I know that's not a big, shocking headline for you. I know that's not going to turn your world upside down just hearing it. But we're going to think about that seriously this morning. Christians are under God's authority. Churches are under God's authority. That means God has the power and the right to give us orders to make decisions for us and to enforce obedience. God is in charge. We are under his authority. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background before we get into this in the book of Acts. And we'll start back in the book of Mark. Many of you remember that a couple times a year we've been returning to the book of Mark and working our way through. I'm certain that you remember the sermon from uh, March 2014 when we were in Mark chapter 1 verses 21 through 28, so I don't have to go back into that. I know that you remember it really well. I want you to remember, if you were here with us when we started Mark back then in 2014, four years ago, hard to believe, we saw as Jesus came onto the scene in his public ministry, do you kind of remember that and from your own reading of the scripture, when he first came in public ministry, all the people were astonished at him. They could not believe what Jesus was like, and his fame spread immediately. Do you remember why they were so astonished? Do you remember what was so amazing about Jesus that got people talking initially? It wasn't his movie star good looks and charisma. The Bible actually teaches that he didn't have any of that. It wasn't that he was sparking controversy, although he was, that's not what was so amazing to everybody. What was so amazing to everybody was his authority. We often forget that. For some reason, we don't make that a prominent focus as the church. But that's what initially got everybody's attention. And I'll just read you one verse to remind you of that from Mark chapter 1. It's verse 27. It says, after Jesus says some of his very first ministry activity in public, and it says, and they, the crowds and the people around, were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. What is going on here? Who is this? This Jesus has authority like we have never, ever seen before. The most remarkable thing about Jesus when he first began his public earthly ministry was not how nice he was, but how authoritative he was. I think often we make Christianity about being nice. Jesus was super-duper nice. We should be super-duper nice. Now, Jesus was very nice. He was very kind and gentle, especially to children and vulnerable people, widows, the poor and the needy. But that wasn't the most remarkable thing when he first came on the scene. It was his authority. Now, thinking about it like bookends, that's at the beginning of the gospel's story of Jesus. He blasts onto the scenes with authority. Now, think about the end. Think about the Great Commission. That's a familiar passage of scripture to most of us. Have you ever noticed how prominently the theme of authority plays into the Great Commission? Let's look at it. You probably just flip backwards one page in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. 
And we'll read starting at verse 18. It's known as the Great Commission. And this will, this will step us into the book of Acts. But here's his final word recorded in the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to be nice people and go to church. Is that what it said? Teaching them to observe, which means to attend carefully to, all that I have suggested, all that I have recommended, all that I have commanded, teach them to observe, to attend carefully to, to obey carefully, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So Jesus enters and exits on a note of divine authority. Now, from this passage, it flows very nicely into the beginning of the book of Acts. And we see the apostles obeying Jesus' command to them. We see them scattering about and making disciples and then teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. What you hold in your hands, the New Testament books, are the fruit of the disciples and apostles' obedience to Jesus' call for them to teach all the future disciples, all the way up even to us, to attend to everything Jesus commanded. We've got it recorded here in the New Testament. We see in Acts the apostles get to work. And in the churches it is founded, gets to work, attending carefully to what Jesus commanded. Now let's read the first verses in Acts. Now we get into this. The book of Acts again, where we were last week. It's interesting to note that we see the apostles as men under authority as we see them begin to operate in the book of Acts. We don't see them as leaders. We love, we American Christians love leadership. You go in the Christian bookstore and you will see a huge section about leadership. I'm finishing up, Lord willing, at Gordon-Conwell and there's a huge tract of studies about leadership. And we love dynamic leaders, we love visionary leaders, we love entrepreneurial types of human leaders. But it's interesting to note that the Bible really does not emphasize that. And the apostles were not dynamic leaders. They were men under authority just following orders, obeying commands. They weren't visionaries. More often than not, they're presented as doofuses. These weren't brilliant strategists. They were just doing what they were told. So let's just read these opening verses. There'll be some in here that we talked about last week, and I'll just sort of breeze breeze over that. But In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given suggestions, recommendations, No, the word is commands. It might say instructions, but the better translation, I believe, is commands. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John, the, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Commands, orders, not suggestions, not recommendations, not even teachings. Jesus is clearly in charge here. As we continue, we see the apostles were obedient. They were on a need-to-know basis, and there were some things they just didn't need to know. Going into verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know. You don't need to know that. You don't have that clearance. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't get above your authority level here. I'm giving you what you need to know and what you need to do. You just be obedient in that. And so they were. I want to read to you. I'm going to skip ahead to Acts chapter 4. And this will sort of be our core passage. That we're really mainly just going to read it with some comment. How this played out in the apostles' early ministry. The fact that they were just operating under the authority of God, the Son, Jesus Christ. So we'll start at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up to them. So here are some Jewish authorities coming up to the disciples, the apostles. And the Sadducees came up to them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. These are, in human Jewish, ancient Jewish terms, these were the authority figures. And they're all gathered together. It says they're greatly annoyed, which I think is a fantastic detail. They're so annoyed at these apostles. So let's gather the most authoritative men that we have together, and let's deal with this. These lowly disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, blue-collar people, who do they think they are? Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Referring to a healing that they had done. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. Just like when Jesus entered on the scene, everybody was astonished, mainly by how authoritative he was. And now here's the apostles on the scene as the church is beginning. And everybody's astonished once again. And they're not astonished at their eloquence, and they're not astonished at what genius plans they have laid to begin this new religion. They're astonished because they have this air of transferred authority about them. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded, same word from the beginning of Acts, that Jesus used when he was talking to his disciples, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them a similar language. They're used to being the authorities. We'll tell them to stop, and they'll stop because we're the authorities. They charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We have a higher authority than you. God himself, God the Son, Jesus Christ, has commanded us to be about this ministry. And we are not at liberty to obey you. Now these were normal guys. So I have to imagine that some part of them, like any of us, was perhaps tempted to give in to their authority as they were being pressured, pressured heavily by these Jewish authorities. But at the end of the day, they couldn't because a higher authority had given them different orders. They had to follow their orders. They didn't have the right to neglect God's orders to obey man's orders. They were people under authority. They weren't just practitioners of a religious practice. They weren't just subscribers to a religious philosophy. They were obedient servants to a living, resurrected Lord who had divine authority. So they had to proceed. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. That's not the only episode like that in Acts, but it's the one that we'll land on today. The bottom line is, as we approach the book of Acts and God's word, trying to be pliable and moldable and submissive to what we see, we see that God is the authority over the apostles, over the church from the very beginning, and over all Christians for all time, including us. God is our authority. You and I are to attend carefully to all that Jesus commanded his apostles. That's why they put it in the book for us. And we have the same Holy Spirit through which Jesus commanded the early apostles. 
We are under authority just like they were under authority. In the epistles, the the New Testament letters after the book of Acts, you see this authority language, this language of command, charge, insist on these things, continued to those who would serve the early church, the apostles, the elders, the pastors. They commanded these things. The church is under God's authority. Now, before we get to applying this to ourselves, I want to answer one objection that you might have. You might be thinking, this sounds a lot like Old Testament stuff. You know, the New Testament, the New Covenant is about mercy and grace. It's about God being kind and good to us and forgiving us. And He doesn't demand obedience anymore, surely. He just wants faith. Well, I can see how you might think that. And I just want to share two quick scriptures to enlighten us about this. And you don't have to flip to these because I, I just have them in my notes. I'm just going to read them. The first is Jesus speaking in John 14, 15. And he says, very simple. It's not a long passage. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in 1 John 2, 3 through 6, Holy Spirit inspired John to write, And by this we know that we have come to know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the scriptural teaching is pretty clear on this. We do want to avoid what's called legalism, which is the notion that we can earn salvation through our obedience to the commands. Because the Bible does not teach that. You can't earn your salvation through the commands, through obedience. Obedience does not lead to salvation, but salvation leads to obedience. Obedience does not lead to salvation, but salvation does lead to obedience. And where there is no obedience to the commands of Christ, there is no salvation. You cannot say, I am saved by Jesus Christ, and ignore his commands. It does not work like that. You cannot only have Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord. So obedience to his commands is still centrally important to us if we are going to be Christians together the way the Bible describes it, and prescribes it. We've got to be obedient to his commands. And we can now. See, before you were saved, you couldn't. You were too enslaved to your sin, but now through Jesus Christ, we've been freed from all that, and now we can increasingly live in obedience to God's commands, which is glorious. It's the way you were designed to function. So now... The application, and we'll close with this. Two questions. First question. Are we, as a church, shaped by God's authority? As a church, are we shaped by God's authority? If Jesus walked in through those doors right now, and let's say he grabbed a report booklet, from our annual meeting, and it had all the reports from last year, 
and he grabbed our Constitution. And he sat in the back, and he was flipping through the Constitution, and he was flipping through our report booklets. Do you think that he would conclude, these people are clearly focused on my commands? They're being Christians together. Their church is shaped by God's authority. They're not coming up with their own ideas. Or do you think he would see signs for concern? Do you think he would say, boards, committees, nominations, elections? That sounds more like corporate America, democratic ideas. Looking through the reports, would he see that we are, as best we can, submitting to his authority? Or that we've come up with some of our own ideas for stuff to do? And decided some stuff that we're not going to do. Now these are hard questions. And I'm not standing here saying definitively that I have the answers to them. But I think that if we genuinely, which I really do. If we genuinely want to submit ourselves fully to God's word. These are the kinds of questions we need to ask regularly. Second question. First one is, are we as a church shaped by God's authority? Second question. Are we as Christians shaped by God's authority? Are we as individual Christians shaped by God's authority? So if Jesus, after he sat in the back pew and flipped through our report booklet and our constitution, walked over to you and sat down and nudged you and said, I'm going to shadow you for a couple weeks. I'm just going to follow you around, see how you live, see how you use your resources, what you talk about, what you're passionate about, what you prioritize. I just want to see how things are going with you. You won't even know I'm here. So he follows you for the next month, and, and let's just say the next month's exactly like the last month. What would he find? Would he find a Christian shaped by his authority? Or would he find someone for whom his authority is a little bit irrelevant? Someone who attends church but really isn't submitting his life and heart to Jesus' authority. Again, I'm just asking the questions right now. These are things we need to consider. And the challenge for us is, simply, in light of what we see here, let's submit ourselves to God's authority. We'll do it so imperfectly. It, it's always going to be a mess because we're a mess. But as a church, let's submit to God's authority. Let's, every meeting, every committee meeting, everything we do, let's bring our Bibles and let's open them. And let's comb it for anything that might shed light. Well, what... What does our authority, our commander-in-chief have to say about this idea and that idea and this pursuit and that pursuit? Let's let prayer be the primary function of our planning and our decision-making. Lord, what do you want us to do? It's so easy to be shaped by what all the other churches are doing or what just feels like in our gut we ought to do. But what does God's Word say? Let's, as individual Christians, but together, be shaped by God's authority. I believe that as we do, as we submit ourselves like this together, as we do that sort of messy, hard work of just laying it all out there for God to change if he needs to change it, I think we'll see where there is isolation and autonomy and individualism and Absence and people AWOL from the fellowship, I think we'll see camaraderie and fellowship together. I think where there is ongoing unrepentant sin, 
we'll begin to see repentance and confession and freedom and real spiritual growth. Where there's lukewarmth and apathy, I think we'll start to see that phrase from Romans, if you remember, spiritually boiling, passion for God and people. Where there's a preoccupation with preferences, I think we'll see an increasing self-forgetfulness and the pursuit of obedience to our Lord. I think where there might be spiritual weakness, we'll begin to see spiritual strength. Where there might be a spiritual vagueness, we'll see crystal clarity begin to emerge. Where there might be hypocrisy, we'll begin to see integrity. Where there might be disengagement, we'll begin to see faithfulness. Where there might be fruitlessness, we may begin to see fruitfulness. But it all starts with these things. You know, I got into this study in Acts, and I, we did it prayerfully in light of some of our concerns about the church. And we decided we're just going to let God's Word speak to us, and instead of us deciding, well, the first thing we need to do is start this program and this ministry, and that's going to get us back on track. And it's so fascinating to see what God raises to the surface as you submit yourself to God's Word. I wouldn't have expected, honestly, I didn't expect the first two sermons to be about the resurrection and about Jesus' authority. But here we are, and I believe that that's God's word to us. So will we do that? Will you do that? Will I do that? I trust God to reveal to us as a church and individually what this means. And I want to close with a time for reflections, just reflection. And you can, you can close your eyes and bow your head or not. But during this brief time of reflection, I'm just going to read to you some of the commands that Jesus gives in the Gospels, the commands that we as believers now get to and are called to and commanded to attend to carefully, to obey. And that will close our sermon. Jesus' commands to us. Repent. Follow me. Rejoice. If you're ever persecuted for following me, let your light shine in a dark world by doing good deeds. Be reconciled to anybody that you have offended. Cut off anything that is tempting you to sin. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Sacrifice beyond what others demand that you give. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Give generously and in secret. Seek above all things God's kingdom. Be persistent in prayer. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Choose the narrow way that leads to life. Pray for God to send laborers into the fields with the gospel. Fear God and not man. Honor your parents. 
deny yourself, taking up your cross to follow me. Welcome little children. Beware of covetousness. Forgive those who wrong you, even if they keep wronging you over and over again. Stay married unless God allows separation in the case of adultery. Invite the poor and neglected for meals. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Render to God what belongs to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Praise, honor, and worship God. Make the name of Jesus known. Love your neighbor. Await my return. Work to understand my message. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Love one another as I have loved you. Father, thank you for calling us to simple obedience. Lord, let us not strike out on our own, but listen to the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and simply obey. Lord, let our church be shaped by your authority, and let us as individuals be shaped by your authority. Please forgive us where we have failed here and where we have turned away, and please bring us back. In Jesus' name, amen.